Any of you fans of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, like I am, the, the news quiz show, I'd highly commend you to check it out. Some, it's one of my favorite things to do if I'm doing errands on a Saturday morning listening and you sort of catch up on the news in an entertaining kind of way. And I heard a story uh, on there about a really bad day. That was the category of questions they were asking about. A really bad day. Turns out this truck driver had run into a fire hydrant which started water spewing everywhere. So that starts off as a bad day, but it got worse. And so in his uh, panic to figure out what was going on, he jumped out of his truck, but he locked his keys in the truck with the, car, with the truck running. And with all this water uh, spilling everywhere, quickly a sinkhole formed. And then it was clear that his truck was perilously close to the sinkhole. So he broke back into the truck, kicked in a window, got back in the, the truck in the cab. And instead of going in, re in forward, he went in reverse right into the sinkhole. So if you thought you've had a bad day, uh, that guy probably could top you. But I want to talk to you today, not about, about a bad day, but about a great day. About a really good day in your life. The day of your baptism. Now, most of you probably don't remember that. How many of you were baptized as babies or as children? Any, most of us here, right? Uh, if you grew up in the United Methodist Church or a Protestant church, that's pretty typical. Roman Catholic Church would be baptized as children. Any of you baptized as adults or teenagers? Uh, a much smaller group. Of, but, so some of you may recall your baptism, remember what that day was like. But for most of us, we have to rely on the stories of our parents or our grandparents or maybe a video that was taken. Uh, we encourage the families who have children baptized here. One of the things we tell them in the class is to sort of make the day of their baptism with your children a day of remembrance. So year by year, treat it almost like a birthday. So you remember it, you mark it, and you're like, this is the day you were baptized. Kind of a special thing. And the day of, uh, today is a baptism renewal Sunday, and in the United Methodist Church, this is a fairly new ritual. I'd say in the last 20, 25 years that we've recovered uh, some of the significance and prominence and centrality of the sacraments in, in life of our church. For, how many of you remember the days when the United Methodists celebrated communion four times a year? You know, maybe quarterly. That was about, you know, that was a long time ago, but that was pretty typical, uh, just four times a year. And then we started celebrating it once a month, and some churches celebrate it every, every week now. And the same is true with baptism. We sort of recovered the, the power and the meaning of the sacrament of baptism. And one of the ways we do that now is a service of baptismal renewal. And it's paired uh, to the scripture reading that comes up every year right after Epiphany, during the season of Epiphany. It's the story of Jesus being baptized. So you heard that story today from Mark's Gospel. Jesus coming with the others. He's among a group of people being baptized. And in his case, the Spirit of God comes on him in a powerful way. And this is going to be the beginning point of his public ministry. This is the, uh, he's going to be sent out in the wilderness, a time of uh, sort of clarification and visioning of who he is and identity. But this baptism really thrusts him into his public ministry. And so we renew our baptism on the same day that we mark the baptism of Jesus coming to John at the Jordan. And so today is a good day, a good day we remember your baptism and remember the baptism of Jesus. Now, one of my favorite authors, she's on my top shelf. I've got my books sort of prioritized in my office. I've got a top shelf of books that I turn to again and again. Lauren Winter is one of those authors that I find myself going back to again and again. I first discovered her on an Ash Wednesday uh, many years ago. I heard her on the radio talking uh, about an excerpt from her book called Girl Meets God. She has a really fascinating uh, spiritual pedigree and spiritual story, if you will. She grew up in a nominally Jewish home, 
That is, they sort of celebrated the, the, the big holidays, but it wasn't a regular part of their practice. Then as, as she grew into adolescence and into college, she got very interested in her faith, and she converted to Orthodox Judaism, pretty rigorous process. She studied with the rabbi, she became an Orthodox Jew, and the, a, a big deal. And then later on, as she was doing graduate work in England over at Cambridge, she became more and more fascinated with this person of Jesus. And she was on this path that led her to become a Christian. She was baptized there. She, as an adult, she became a Christian. Just fascinating story. And so she's got all these pieces in her life, and she draws on all of them in her writing. And so she draws on her rich, deep uh, Jewish roots as well as her Christian identity. So I find her stuff fascinating. Anyway, so I got introduced to her on this Ash Wednesday many years ago, ran out and bought her book for that day, Girl Meets God, and I've been reading her ever since. And this is her latest book. It's called Wearing Wearing God. And the basic argument of this book is that, you know, sometimes in the church we get trapped into thinking that there are four or five dominant ways of imaging God. And we use them over and over in our hymns and our songs. You know, God as king, God as father, God, God as lord. And some, you know some of the more familiar ways. But if you look at all of scripture, there are actually hundreds of ways that God is named. Because no one of these images or metaphors fully captures who God is. All of them just give us a glimpse. All of this, them give us a facet of who God is. And so if we get locked into only three or four or five, we're missing a broader picture of who God might be. So this book is a collection of sort of unlikely images for God. They're all biblical images. But there are other ways of imagining God. Uh, the subtitle, if you say, is Clothing, Laughter, Fire, and over, Other Overlooked Ways of Meeting God. Did you know that God is referred to as like a beekeeper? Uh, in, in the scripture. Who knew? Who knew that that was there as well? So today, as we consider our baptisms, I want to take up this central image of her book. She has a whole chapter on wearing God. God as clothing. Ever, ever think of God as clothing before? Well, it's a very biblical image. It comes right, it's a baptismal image. It comes right out of Galatians chapter 3. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. You have been clothed in Christ, clothed in God. So what does that mean and what does that look like? One of the things that makes her book so interesting is she sort of takes these metaphors and then says, well, how do they connect to our everyday lives? It's, it was sort of Jesus' teaching method, wasn't it? If you think about all the times that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like... And then he'd use a very earthy, pithy, kind of everyday kind of thing. This kingdom of God is like a woman who loses a coin and she turns her house upside down looking for it. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom of God is you fill in the blank. All of these images, well, these images for God, the kingdom of or God is like the clothes that we wear. What does it mean for God to be like the very clothing that we wear? I noticed in this congregation, say from oh, I don't know, from April on through September, there's a lot more orange and black that just appears. It just appears. I don't know what it is, but there are a lot of Oriole fans here. I especially noticed it when I was in Chick-fil-A this past year, and I was uh, sort of blinded by a sea of orange. It was, it was Orioles Day. If you wore anything orange, you got free, a free uh, chicken sandwich or something. So I've also noticed that we have the liturgical season of ravens in the fall here. Uh, on, on any given Sunday in the fall, it's, I'm likely to see a lot of purple in the congregation, even though it's not Lent. Um, so a lot of Ravens gear that makes its way out. 
And, and likely, if you turn on the TV today, you might see something like this down at Redskins Park. You know, people wearing with rabid fanaticism their loyalty to their teams. This is a Green Bay Packer cheesehead. I happen to own a cheesehead myself. Um, that's not my favorite team, but one of my uh, friends from my last congregation was a rabid uh, Packer fan, and so I have my own very own cheesehead. She is delighted to be going with her family down to that game today. And if you're at Redskins Park, you probably see this too. A lot of people wearing the burgundy and gold. I see you're saying, did you say thumbs down? Are there any Redskins fans in this congregation with me? Okay, I'm not the only one, okay. I did live near Washington for 16 years. I'm also a Baltimore fan. I've lived and done part of my ministry up in the Baltimore area. So I love both teams. I cheer for both teams. But I'm happy to see the Redskins occasionally make it to the playoffs. You guys, you Raven fans, we who are Raven fans, we're sort of used to them being there. This is an odd year for them not being there. So we wear our loyalties to our teams. And that's true of our college teams as well. If you want a growth industry, look at the collegiate apparel industry these days. You know, when I was in school, you could buy stuff that had your, that had your school on. But now you can buy so much stuff that, had, that is logoed with your school. When my daughter went to Clemson University, I'm wearing a Clemson shirt. Maybe they're playing in a big game tomorrow night. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, and so when my daughter went to Clemson, I noticed immediately her wardrobe became a lot more orange and a lot more purple. And so did mine as a parent. You know, my tuition dollars were going there, so my, my, my loyalties shifted. Suddenly I was cheering for Clemson football, football games. But just in fairness, I'm going to have to move my microphone to do this. When my daughter came along, she went to High Point University. So suddenly I had to buy a lot of high point gear as well. And she had, you know, she had sweatshirts and sweats and all of the paraphernalia, the decals on the car and all of that. So loyalty to her new alma mater as well. But that's not it. Now this is not a very popular one to wear in Maryland, I've found. Matter of fact, I get, I get a lot of loathing when I wear this. I did go to Divinity School at Duke. Uh, just as Coach K had sort of turned the corner and saved his job. I don't know if you, many of you know that he almost lost his job in those early years. He wasn't doing real great, but I happened to be there when they started to win again, uh, which was a lot of fun. So I've been a, a longtime Duke fan. Now, I cheer for Maryland, too. I've been in Maryland for 30 years. I love Maryland. None of my Maryland friends cheer for Duke. I don't get that. I don't, I don't get that somehow. But we have our fierce loyalties to our schools, don't we? And these teams that we cheer for. What would it be like if we were that fiercely loyal to God in Christ? If that's what it meant to wear Christ. If we were that loyal. That fiercely loyal. I mean, if you want to see some crazy people go to a stadium or an arena or a game day... And you see how much passion there is. What would it be like if we wore God in the same kind of way, with that deep sense of loyalty? Now, I was at, I was at the um, confirmation class the other night. Uh, it was our orientation meeting with the parents and with the teens themselves. And we, I looked around, I commented to one of the dads who was there, oh my gosh, everyone's got a logo on. And everyone pretty much did. Maybe one person didn't. Uh, adults included, not just kids. I mean, everyone had an Under Armour. We don't just stay warm anymore. We stay North Face warm, right? Uh, Nike, the Nike swoosh is on everything, all of our gear when we work out, or whether we're just sitting on a couch, we're still wearing Nike gear. 
Uh, coach handbags, we don't just buy a handbag, we buy over ridiculously overpriced handbags. You fill in the blank, you know, we have, and even if you don't want to be logoed and branded, it's hard not to these days. I, I like sweaters that are made by Tommy Hilfiger or Nautica, not because they're made by those labels, but because I just like those sweaters. And so I have several of those sweaters in my wardrobe, but every time I wear them, I advertise for the brand, right? Because the logo is right out there. What would it be like if we thought of ourselves as wearing God, wearing our baptisms, so that every day our lives advertise God's goodness and grace in the world. That we are branded for God. That we are branded for Christ. Baptized into Christ. What would that look like? One more layer. <laughs> so a couple years ago, um, for our confirmation class, I'm going to give you a look at this. We decided to take this branding thing uh, and connect it to their day of confirmation. All of our confirmands got these specially made Gatorade t-shirts that we made up because they, at that point, uh, their new X-Factor Gatorade was out. Do you remember when X-Factor Gatorade came out? It's just one, it's just a marketing ploy. It was probably the same old formula, who knows? But they had X-Factor Gatorade now. That was the big special push. And we talked on that day with our youth about the fact that as they were confirming their faith, it's like renewing your baptism. It's claiming the fact that Christ lives in you. Because that's their motto, right? Is it in you? The X factor, the Christos, the, the Chi for Christ, is that X factor in you? And we wanted our youth to know that more than any other label they could wear, wearing the label of Christian was the most important thing they could do. Is it in you? And that's sort of what it means to wear God and what it means to renew and to reclaim your baptism. It means to say that Christ is in me. Christ is on me. Christ is all around me. I am wearing God. Now, the other way we use um, uniforms, if you will, is to identify vocations. Um, you, wear, you see a white coat, and what do you think of immediately? You think of a doctor, right? Or you think of uh, that one-piece sort of jumpsuit all in one color. You often think of a mechanic. You show up at a Goodyear place or uh, a Jiffy Lube. And uh, even, even when we send people to prison. Now, this, they, they've sort of popularized and made Orange the New Black, right? And, uh, but even when we send people to prison, sometimes we brand people and distinguish. Uh, sometimes clothing's been used to say, you're not one of us. And so we say, you belong here, and we belong on the outside. If you've ever done prison ministry or visited somebody in the prison, it's kind of a, a strange demarcation that happens because they're all in matching uniforms, so to speak. Uh, there are people in scrubs. How many of you in the congregation wear scrubs on a regular basis? I know some, some of you do. If you're nurses or physical therapists, uh, they sort of demarcate a particular job. We wear religious garb that identify us with a particular faith tradition, whether you're Muslim or whether you're Christian. Christians wear all kinds of crazy stuff. You won't ever see me quite wear that uh, level of, of formal stuff, but see all of the symbols and the, the stoles and, and, uh, and the albs and the cassocks and the robes, all of that that marks us as people of a particular vocation, a particular calling. What would it be like if you thought of your baptism, like Jesus did, as a calling, 
a calling to serve, a calling to be in mission, a calling to wear God in everyday life and in every situation of your life. What would it be like? And I love these pictures. Sometimes we have uh, school uniforms. And particularly, they're using them now in a lot of public schools and a lot of charter schools in the cities. My daughter uh, taught for two years in downtown Savannah in a very, very tough population. A lot of kids from very difficult family situations, most of them with one parent, uh, often being raised by a grandparent. One of her students, uh, this picture reminds me a lot of her kids and her classroom. One of her students uh, lost her father to gun violence that year that she was teaching, just a horrible thing. Um, but one of the things they're doing in those schools is they're wearing a school uniform so the kids don't have to be embarrassed by what they wear to school. And so everyone's put on the same level playing field. And Lauren Winter suggests that that's what it means to put on Christ, to wear God. She says, it, and it's right there in the text. There's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female. We've all been given the same uniform in Christ. No one's up here and no one's down here, but we all belong to this family of God. What would it mean if you considered wearing God to mean that all the people around you are equally children of God with you? They belong to God just as much as you belong to God. Origen, the great uh, theologian of the church, early church, said the Lord Jesus Christ himself is said to be the clothing of the saints. Christ, the clothing of the saints. I love that language. And if you want to know what that looks like, you just have to read a little farther into Galatians. When Paul goes on to say, what does the new life in Christ look like? It's the fruit of the Spirit coming to bloom in your outward appearance. It's not anything you wear in terms of a garment. It's what you wear in terms of an attitude. It's what you wear in terms of, a, uh, of an outlook. It's what you wear in terms of your the ways that you treat other people. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it means to wear Christ, to be clothed in Christ. There's a 19th century uh, British pastor from Manchester, England. And he wrote this. He said, it takes a lifetime to fathom Jesus. It takes a lifetime to appropriate Jesus. It takes a lifetime to be clothed with Jesus. Are we daily as sure as we put on our clothes in the morning, putting on Christ the Lord? So my challenge and my encouragement to all of you after you renew your baptism in church today is that when you get dressed tomorrow morning, as surely as you put on your clothes, ask yourself the question, are you putting on Christ? Are you being clothed in God. Amen.